Let me be blunt. Most of our learning experiences are terrible. And it's not that they're bad, it's that they're thoroughly, blandly mediocre. I can't really speak to what school's like now. I mean, I'm happily child-free and it's been, I don't know, 40 years, I think, since I started high school. But in organizations, this is a place I do know, so much learning seems to suck the very life out of us. There's half a day of my life I'm never getting back again. And it's killing me. Because if we don't keep learning, we stagnate. And if we do keep learning, we have a chance of unlocking the very best of who we might be. Welcome to Two Pages with MBS, the podcast where brilliant people read the best two pages from a favorite book. And apropos of that quick rant, where smart people like you come to learn. My guest today is someone I've come to know through my work with Microsoft. Magni Karam is the Chief Learning Officer at Microsoft Canada. He loves learning and growing as much as I do, you know, perhaps even more. Magni rose up the ranks as a tech professional. And as he worked with large teams in a leadership role, his natural instinct was to work with them on their learning and their development. And Magdi got results. Person after person after person uh, comes to me and says, Magdi, you know what? Um, I've been with Microsoft for this long, or I've been in this uh, IT uh, career for this long, but you are the very first manager who took a very personal care about me and my development. And, you know, when it happened once and twice and three times, all of a sudden it starts ringing a bell in my mind and I'm going, yeah, this is something that I'm passionate about. I love doing it. So I decided, you know what, I should do this for a living, <laughs> not as a side job. One of the things that's truly delightful about Magdi is he didn't really realize that what he did was so special because I think it's just such an intrinsic part of who he is, both personally and professionally. It was an eye-opener for me, and, and I took it for granted that everybody does that. And when somebody pointed that out, that it's not the case, um, I felt like honored. And I felt like, okay, this is something that I'm definitely very passionate about. And uh, this job came uh, available, and I applied for it. And it, I was, again, very blessed to, to be picked for the job in Canada. Being the CLO at a company as large as Microsoft Canada presents its own challenges. It goes way beyond just leading a team. Specifically, how do you teach at scale? So not only for the employees who are part of their ecosystem, but also the customers and the partners. The scope is massive. And Magdi, with his small and mighty team, achieved great things through their programs. So... I asked him how he made the choices, how he decides what to teach at scale and what to focus on and bring into their lives. Well, that's a, that's a great discussion. And we're continuously visiting that and trying to figure out what is the best way, right? Because you're absolutely right. The number one challenge for people to learn is time. And so we are always competing with every single priority. And when mm. they have other uh, priorities and objectives, learning sometimes feels like a burden. And it's something that they need to do just because we're asking them to do it. Um, so the way it works with Microsoft is that some of these programs are defined at a global level. 
um, and corporate right. uh, Microsoft uh, globally. And then what happens is my myself and my team, we're responsible for what I call landing it. So the idea right. is how can you make it, um, you motivate people to learn? How do you get them excited about learning? And so what we focus on more is the culture of learning and trying to build that into their DNA, as opposed to focusing on, you need to go and learn this by this date, right? When you when you push the actual program or the course that they need to learn, or you know the, the different uh, certification that they need to accomplish and uh, achieve, it becomes yeah. something that you're kind of as if you're holding, uh, you're pushing something, you're forcing them to do it. So it sounds like something that it's done to them. As opposed to when you are focusing a lot on the culture, and this is where growth mindset and the whole culture shift at Microsoft becomes so crucial. Uh, so now we're adopting this learning organization mindset. And so everybody's growing there. And my focus is really to focus on that angle and get people to love learning for the sake of learning. Uh, and and we even when we motivate them, we don't motivate them anymore with kind of like uh, rewards and so on, but it's actually a master class uh, subscription. So in other words, we uh, motivate nice. them to finish their own training by giving them more training. And I'm telling you, people <laughs> are loving it because they are now starting to recognize that when they are learning and they're continuously learning, it is their competitive advantage and they become much more efficient in what they're doing they become much more valuable, valuable in terms of a resource. And of course, they become much more marketable and sought after. So we always train yeah. people because we want them to stay at Microsoft. But even if they decide to leave, then they become our advocates outside and they are you know, being asked for from all different uh, companies, even our competitors. I love that. I love, I love that you're, you're rewarding learning with more learning. Yeah. So often there's that kind of gap between the the what you get at the end or the or the or the carrot that's being used. It doesn't it, kind of make sense, but exactly. this is a perfect way that it just amplifies this commitment to a, a culture of learning. That's really smart. What what else? I mean, as much as you're willing to share, because I'm so nosy about this stuff. But is there anything <laughs> else that you found has really helped with? shifting to a culture of learning because i think actually that what you said before is quite profound which is stop selling the course and build the build the the environment that just makes the courses sell themselves if you like yes so so let me give you uh, just a little bit of context although you're very familiar with microsoft uh, for your uh, listeners as well at microsoft we based our culture on the work done by dr carol dweck and, and we introduced mm. the concept of growth mindset um, at its core growth mindset is based on the belief that potential is nurtured not predetermined and that means that knowledge and ability could be acquired by anyone really. And so that in of itself is a very powerful concept because if you didn't believe that knowledge can be acquired, then you either had it or you didn't, right? And now that myth has right. been busted. So now mm. we don't give up anybody because anybody can uh, acquire the knowledge. And so with that, that is the, you know, the culture, that is the premise behind everything that I'm going to say next, right? When you introduce a culture, 
into a, a new organization, um, for it yeah. to take roots and really take hold and stick, if you will, you have to do much more than just announce it. And so we have developed programs for our leadership, and we can talk about that in, in a lot, but our leadership at every single level has to live it and breathe it and practice it day in, day out. Because when you introduce such a massive change, it could, mm. people can, you know, think that it's, you know what, it's, it's a fad that is here today, gone tomorrow. In fact, even growth mindset, when it was introduced by Satya seven years ago, people were kind of using it and snickering about, about it and, and call, talking to each other and say, oh, you don't have growth mindset and so on. The only right. time it started to sink in is when they are starting to witness true change. They're seeing that their leaders, starting with their immediate manager all the way to Satya Nadella himself, people are living it day in, day out. The way they mm. talk, their habits have changed, right? There is no more feel of failure. Instead, we actually encourage experimentation and we want you to go and try things out. And if you fail, that's okay. Fail fast and share that learning with others. When they start hearing that again and again in storytelling and repetition every single day, they start figuring this is real and they start adopting right. it. But that's only one aspect, right? So, so the systems, even your your pro, your operational rhythms, your pr processes, also need to be accommodating. Meaning, if we start taking a look at a process that is not helping us, but instead hindering us, we get rid of it. When we start seeing that people are spending too much time in meeting, we meetings, we actually save them time. We take this so seriously, so it is embedded in right. everything. Our symbols, like that. everything that we want to focus on and care about, like for instance, our reward system, our performance, takes that into consideration. And we reward people who are collaborating with others and building on others' work and sharing freely. All these type of things, you know, contribute to the culture taking hold and really changing our uh, empathy as a company inside out. Beautiful. And in fact, I think you've, I know, in fact, you've, you've selected an author who is also a champion for curiosity and growth and empathy. So tell us about the book that you've uh, chosen to read from today, Maggie. Yes, absolutely. So the book is called Dare to Lead, and it's by Brene Brown. And, uh, and I've been, uh, you know, a fan of Brene and I've watched uh, lots of her TED Talks and I've read all her books. But this one resonated with me uh, at several, in several uh, sections. And, and the, the piece that I want to read to you today is, is also resonating with me personally. And, and uh, after I read it, I'll tell you why. Yeah, please do. So, uh, Magdi Karam, CLO of Microsoft Canada, reading from Dr. Brene Brown's book, Dare to Lead. Magdi, over to you. Having to be the knower or always being right is heavy armor. It's defensiveness. It's posturing. And worst of all, it's a huge driver of BS. It's also very common. Most of us have some degree of a knower in us. Too often, we stereotype the knower as the irritating but lovable Cliff Clavin from the TV show Cheers. Unfortunately, though, needing to know everything is pretty miserable for the knowers and everyone around them. It leads to distrust, 
bad decisions, unnecessary rumbles and unproductive conflict. It sounds pretty easy to replace the armor of knowing with becoming a curious learner, but for many people the need to be a knower is driven by shame, and for some even trauma. Being a knower can save people in hard situations, but it's easy to buy into the belief that being a knower is the only value we bring to relationships and work. Knower can also become a cultural problem when only some people are valued as knowers. Others don't speak up because they're not senior enough or it's not in their, they're not in their place. One leader shared that he had been with this new company for six months and had never contributed in a meeting. He was brought in because of his 20 plus years of experience, yet he was expected to be quiet in the meetings because of the cultural norms that valued only the contributions of tenured leaders. And then she proceeds to contrast that with daring leadership, being a learner and getting it right. There are three strategies that I've seen work to transform always knowing into always learning. First, name the issue. It's a tough conversation, but clear is kind. As an example, quote, I'd like for you to work on your curiosity and critical thinking skills. You're often quick with answers, which can be helpful, but not as helpful as having the right questions, which is how you'll grow as a leader. We can work together on this, end quote. Second, make learning curiosity skills a priority. Third, acknowledge and reward great questions and instances of, quote, I don't know, but I'd like to find out, end quote, as a daring leadership behavior. The big shift here is from wanting to be right to wanting to get it right. I know I'm ready to give feedback when I'm ready to listen, ask questions, and accept that I may not fully understand the issue. Often in the midst of feedback session, we forget that we're supposed to be facilitating and fact-finding from a place of curiosity and not lecturing. When we lecture, we're typically focused on getting it over with, on shoveling one lesson into one session. We want to get this difficult feedback or hard conversation over with, and we certainly don't want to string it along over multiple sessions. Instead, we must lean into our grounded confidence. As an example, quote, here's what I'm seeing. Here's what I'm making up about what I see. I have a lot of questions. Can you help me understand, end quote? Then dig in, take notes and ask questions, followed by, again, quote, I need some time to think about this. Can we circle back tomorrow? I'll come to you if more questions come up, and if you have questions, please come to me, end quote. Well, you know, Magdi, I love this stuff. <laughs> so I'm like violently nodding my head as I've been listening to this. Yes. I've been going, exactly. Um, but tell me what, what about this passage in particular that strikes a chord for you? 
Yeah, so um, so I've been with Microsoft for 21 years, and I loved Microsoft, and I, my passion for this company, uh, even after this long time, has grown, not diminished, uh, mm. um, from the time I have joined. But 21 years ago, when I joined, Microsoft was very, very similar to what Brene is describing in her book. Those know-it-all people, uh, those heroes, uh, the the only the most senior people's opinion is heard and others are ignored. Uh, as I said, it was a different company then. And our company, yeah. um, the, the one that I work for today, has managed to transform itself by transforming its culture. And it's a great story to tell. For you, did you have to undergo this shift? I mean, how did you work? How, what's the change been like for you personally? Yes. Were you were you the odd duck out 21 <laughs> no. years ago? You know, I got into Balmer and the like, where you're like, you had to be know-it-all and loud and senior. Or, yeah. And you've, yeah. Just, you've found your place now? Or have you too gone through a change that reflects Microsoft's change? Um, I have to admit, I have gone through the change because when I joined Microsoft, I joined as a consultant. I was in the consulting organization. So this hero mentality took over completely, right? You come in, you want to come into a situation or a customer's uh, you know, scenario and save the day. And because of that, you had to appear that you know it all. Not only that, you also, you also used to hoard information. You didn't share it freely because you want to stay the hero. You want to be the one that people come to you and you are always the kind of the savior um so yes i had to go through the transformation myself but i'm telling you this um this idea that you had to be uh, knowing it all was extremely extremely stressful and speci yeah. especially when i moved into leadership Right. So when somebody asks a question, you're expected to know the answer. I remember sitting in meetings in a room when we could sit and still in rooms, uh, you know, somebody would ask a question and every face would look at me as if, OK, <laughs> tell us, wise one, what is the answer? Right. And the <laughs> amount of stress and burden that puts on me was unbelievable. So now with this transformation and growth mindset it is such a relief and freeing because i finally can say i really don't know but let's figure it out together right i don't know yeah. and let me think about it and i'll do some research and get back to you i can be honest about these things um so honestly the weight that takes takes off your shoulder of being a know-it-all yeah is unbelievable so yeah no i did have to go through the transformation myself and i you know admit it fully for 100 <laughs> percent. Well, what was the moment when you realized you had to make that change when you suddenly went it's just not working as a know-it-all and and this is broken and i need an alternative what was there a moment of sudden realization yeah so so you know what? Uh, when when Satya brought the uh, Doctor Duwak's uh, work to Microsoft, I actually bought the book. So I wasn't, you know, content with the the one email that talked about, you know, becoming more empathetic and growth mindset. I went and bought the book, and uh, and I read through it. And every like yourself now, when you were nodding your head and kind of approving everything, uh, you know, that Brene was yeah. was saying in her book, I was doing the same thing. I go, this makes perfect sense. This is great. This is what we should be doing. And you know what? I, I embraced it fully. Uh, and of course, you know, uh, when, when you talk about growth mindset versus fixed mindset, nobody 
is is there nobody has is fully growth mindset in every aspect of life right so i catch myself right. in lots of times being fixed mindset but reality is i love the the work i w- love the theory behind it and uh, and actually i try to embrace it every day and the idea again that is is freeing so it does you there is no shame in not knowing or failing right so i can admit my yeah. failure even in being of growth mindset and i can share that right. with vulnerability with my team and ask them to hold me accountable and ask for feedback and it, and as i said it's very freeing it's one of the great ironies, which is like, look at me failing at growth mindset is <laughs> exactly. a embracing of growth mindset. It's like exactly. a paradox. Exactly. Yeah. What was the hardest thing for you to unlearn? The hardest thing to let go? Because I get your enthusiasm about growth mindset in theory, but in practice, where was the struggle in this for you? So I'll tell you my biggest one, right? So, um, as part of growth mindset and the cultural change, diversity and inclusion is a core tenant of that, right? And it is very, very easy to embrace diversity, but it's not as easy to embrace inclusion. And let me let me give you an example, right? So, right. for me, um, it is when when i'm addressing my team and and there were times where i had a team of like 30 people and so yep. again while hiring and while thinking about practice uh, uh, hiring practices and making sure that the team has the right diversity and all that was as i said that was the easy part so i look around and i've got a team of 30 people around me coming from all different walks of life great but then you have a meeting and then you start discussing something and all of a sudden this other component, which is that inclusion piece, that is hard, right? So I find myself, you know, talking to the ones that are the most extrovert and loud and, 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 you know, um, have a voice. And sometimes I forget about the ones that are shy and quiet, although I am actually shy and quiet myself sometimes. And, and, and I'm an, an introvert by nature. And so for me to make sure that I, look around the room and make sure that every person has a voice and they are included in the discussion and we're not making unilateral decisions without listening to their feedback and taking it in i think that was the most you know the most difficult and this is still a journey that i have to admit i i still fall into that from time to time and i'm still learning and growing through the process how do you help to make inclusion a reality? Because I, I totally get the distinction you made between diversity, which is like, you can you can see the variety in front of you and inclusion, which is, and that variety, those different ways of thinking, those different backgrounds are contributing in a way that's appropriate. Um, are there tactics or strategies you've used just on your, your own self-management or in general in terms of how you kind of run the business or run your part of the business? to try and increase inclusion? Yeah, so I read this, um, I read this quote uh, that says, if you don't intentionally, deliberately, proactively include, you will unintentionally exclude, right? And that's exactly Mm. what was happening. So I have that like my motto, and I always use that uh, to kind of 
check with myself to make sure that did I follow that? Did I deliberately make sure that every voice is heard? And so, um, again, I'm not sure if you're aware, but Microsoft had a conference, a two-day conference that it was called Microsoft Include that was run last week. That was two, like I, I'm so, you know, when I hear about this and when, when I get involved uh, in, in things like that, it is so humbling that, and I'm so proud of, of Microsoft as a company that takes this so seriously that they put their yeah. money where their mouth is, they create such great content and ask everybody to dedicate two days of their time. This is, you know, a worldwide event. And they're asking the whole company to dedicate two days uh, to, to this type of initiative. So um, I know I'm not answering your question directly. I don't think there is a silver bullet. I don't think there is an easy way other than to make sure that deliberately day in, day out, you are making sure that everybody has a voice and you're going to the, even the most quiet person on your team uh, or the virtual right. team that you're working within and ask for feedback, ask for their opinion, make sure that they are telling you what they're thinking. Maggie, what what's most surprising to you about the leader you've become today? Surprising, okay. Um, <laughs> that's, uh, I, I never thought about that, actually. I don't have an answer prepared for you, Michael, but uh, you know what? Uh, I'll give you another story that I'm, uh, that uh, I just, happened to be about a, a couple of days ago. So I'm, uh, yeah. I mentioned that I'm an introvert, right? And, um, uh, and I'm originally from Egypt as well, right? So, so I came to Canada 25, 26 years ago, um, even more actually, 27 years ago now, <laughs> 27 <laughs> years ago. And, and uh, the number just keeps creeping yeah, up, doesn't exactly. it? <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and because of that, you know, I come here and I look around me and I see the successful people and, and, and in my mind, extrovert is the way to go, right? And so for years, I try to cover and hide the fact that I am an introvert. And I try to adapt uh, to the culture around me. And then uh, just two days ago, I was reading a book. And the book is called The Power of the Introvert. And uh, going through that book, the first thing that struck me is number one, the myth that introverts is the minority. In fact, introverts are either 50% or even more. Uh, and so we're not a minority. So I've got a lot of people like me. <laughs> and then the second yeah. thing that was eye-opening, and I loved it about the author who wrote the book, is that she said, we should embrace the fact that we are introverts. We don't have to be extroverts. And all of a sudden, and this is literally 48 hours ago, Michael, I, I was thinking about this and I go, that's true. Why have been I trying to become someone who I am not? Instead, right. if I embrace the fact that I am an introvert, and that does mean different things. It doesn't mean anything bad or good, but all I'm trying to say is that it means that I need to rejuvenate or re-energize myself in different ways than an extrovert does. Right. And I do need to engage in activities that maybe not necessarily a lot of people care about, which is, for instance, uh, sit alone with my book. And I'll be very happy with that for a long time. Um, right. So 
this is a long way and a, a long story to tell you that that was an eye opener after you know how many years of being in right. IT and in leadership and all that and all of a sudden a new book opens my eye to something and I embraced it fully and yes I'm, I'm you know just in the beginning of the journey but I love the fact that I can you know share that and be who I am and I don't have to become somebody who I'm not beautiful what what are the powers of an introvert, Magdi? What do you see as the sort of the super strengths there? Uh, I, I'll tell you one thing that uh, personally for me, right? You can ask me a question, and um, um, I I am a very thoughtful person. Meaning, if you if it's important to me, I will not be able to answer you immediately. I would take right. that, think about it, spend some time, you know kind of deliberating me and myself and I, <laughs> and then come mm -hmm. back with a much better thoughtful answer. And I found that that is something that is, you know, sometimes I felt that that is hindering my ability to be on the spot, quick, witty, and trying, you know, again, to compete with others. And so I, I felt bad about it. But now I feel actually good about it. So that is the power. The power is that if I have the time and if I, if it's something that is important to me, I usually right. spend a, a good amount of time and I give you out of myself to deliberate and think about it in extreme detail and, and thoughtfulness so that I offer you my best type of answer as opposed to something that I'm quick because uh, you know I, I have it at the tip of my tongue. I love that. Um, and I'm probably more wired to be an extrovert. When somebody asks me a question, I just start talking. And I don't even know what I'm going to say. <laughs> I'm like, I'll often go, Maggie, there are three points I want to make here. And I'm like, and I, and I don't know what any of those three points are yet. We're about to discover. Um, and that's so diff that's, you know, typically with an introvert, they're like, I, you know what, I'm going to figure out what my answer is in my head before I start talking. Correct. Um, and that can make for, for a, a, just a little a little deeper, a little more shaped, a little more powerful answer. So I love that you're speaking to that. Hey, Magda, it's been, it's been wonderful talking to you. I, I do have a question I like to ask right at the end of these conversations, and I'll ask you it as well. We've covered quite a lot, you know, from Brene Brown to being the power of an introvert. I, I love the reflections you've had on Microsoft and how it's changed. That's going to be really interesting for people to listen to. The question I've got is a broad one, and it's this. What needs to be said that hasn't yet been said in this interview? Wow. <laughs> so again, I'll, I'll, I'll take an extra beat uh, to think through that a little bit. Um, okay, so the one thing that I, uh, again, learned recently uh, that I love to share with uh, my team and others and anybody who would love to hear actually. Um, another quote that I heard and it says, uh, the cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. And it's by Joseph Campbell. And mm. that to me was again, one of those defining moments. And, and I've always learned that if you start getting comfortable in what you're doing, that means that it, it's time for you to change. Whether that is a change of role, that is a, a change of uh, 
you know, taking on more responsibility, going over it and doing something else. But this one, again, when I read it, it also sounds like it is the things that you sometimes shy away from. You are These mm. are the ones that you don't want to tackle. And that's the one that you absolutely have to go and tackle. So I share that because uh, when, again, when I, um, I see sometimes some of our, uh, they're called hypo, high potential uh, employees. Yeah. When I ask them to go and do something, whether they know how to do it or not, they answer, absolutely, sign me up. Versus... Right. If you had come to me and that was, you know, just before I learned about this and you asked me, Magdi, can you do this for me? Um, I would say, um, again, this is an introvert thing. <laughs> you know what, Michael, I am not 100% sure. Let me go and think about it. And the reason I'm telling you that is that I'm worried that I will not be able to perform on what you're asking me to do. Although right. I have the history behind me that says, you know what? You've tried the new things before, you've learned how to deal with them, you've learned how to grow, and you managed to perform. So what is the big deal? But it is my fear of certain things that I would not even try. So again, looking at this, I said, you know what, this is something that I need to learn. And this is something that I encourage everybody to do. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek, meaning the things that you don't want to or you're shying away from or you're thinking, yeah, you know what, that's too much of a, a mountain to climb. That's where your success could be lying and you will miss out if you don't try. The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. I love that. And if that quote from Joseph Campbell wasn't just a throwaway line in a podcast that you're listening to, but was the universe in some way laying down a challenge at your feet, how does it strike you? The cave you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. Do you start thinking about the cave or the treasure? I mean, I don't think there's a wrong answer. In fact, in my experience, it's a little bit about how you're wired. I know if I was going to ask my wife this, she would say the cave. And if she's going to ask me, I would say the treasure. That's what I start thinking about. So let me do the unexpected. Let me flip it a bit. And I want you to examine the other element, the thing that you didn't first go to. So, you know, for me, I go to treasure. So let me examine, let me sit with this idea of the cave, the cave that I fear. Mm. <laughs> okay. This is me now lying down on my therapist's couch. I don't actually have a therapist, but I do have a couch. You know, if I'm thinking about that, for me, the, there's a deep fear I have. It shows up often enough around being trapped or penned in or losing my autonomy in some way. So how does that insight, my fear of losing my autonomy or the treasure that I'm seeking? Well, I need to sit with that. I need to figure that out. It's a, it's a big question. I hope it's landed for you as well. I hope the, the interviews landed for you. I hope that last quote has shaken you up a bit, got you thinking about treasure and got you thinking about caves. Meantime, thank you so much for listening to the podcast, Two Pages with MBS. 
If you're a regular listener, you know that this is the time I invite you to join our fantastic community, the Duke Humphreys, named after the coolest library at Oxford University, the place where the oldest, rarest, most beautiful books were kept. And in our free membership site, you get access to unreleased episodes, downloads, some special resources, some uh, uh, video clips. It's all free, but I just love you to come and join our community there and get even more bang for your non-existent buck. It's totally free. And because this podcast grows by word of mouth, if you know somebody else who's interested in learning and in development and shifting organizations, perhaps you'll pass this podcast episode onto them and say, hey, take a listen. And if you're willing to give me a quick review on your podcast app, wherever that might be, that would be wonderful. We always appreciate the stars. You're awesome and you're doing great.